My name is Eva, and today I am going to talk about an ancient Greek statesman who, on the one hand, was known as a great commander, but who was also, even in his own lifetime, known as a schemer, a traitor, and a lion let loose in a city. This is the story of the many escapes of Alcibiades. Alcibiades was born in Athens around 450 BCE. He hailed from a prominent family and was related to the great Pericles through his mother's family. According to the ancient Greek historian Plutarch, who wrote about him some 360 years later, Alcibiades was educated by Socrates, and in fact, his name was mentioned at the trial of Socrates, in which Socrates' defender claimed that youths like Alcibiades were never corrupted by Socrates, as was the charge laid out, because youths like Alcibiades were born corrupted. Alcibiades grew up in the shadow of the Peloponnesian War, the conflict that pitted Sparta against Athens. And he quite purposefully used this conflict to make a name for himself. When Sparta and Athens in 421 BCE signed the peace treaty of Nicias, the Athenians had used the statesman Nicias, hence the name of the treaty, to negotiate their end of the agreement, which was all very well except our man Alcibiades was highly offended that Athens had not chosen him as negotiator just because he was young. So, out of revenge and in order to make his own name, he set out to sabotage the already shaky peace. The Spartans had dispatched ambassadors with full powers to Athens to hammer out the finer points of the treaty. Now the ambassadors were well received in Athens, but Alcibiades contrived to meet with them in secret and convinced them of the ill intent of the Athenians. And somehow he actually managed to persuade them to give up their full powers and instead entrust him to speak for them. Oh, well, you know, dear Spartans, I got your back. Let me handle it. I know how these Athenians think. The next day, as the Spartan ambassadors stood before the Athenian assembly, Alcibiades asked the Spartans, as they had agreed, what authority they had been given to negotiate in Athens. And, as per this secret agreement, the Spartans replied that they had in fact not been granted full powers to speak for Sparta. This was in direct contrast to what they had announced upon their arrival, and the assembly was understandably confused, and this was exactly what Alcibiades hoped for. Standing up, he declared the Spartans for deceivers, he denounced them, he accused them of treachery, and he completely discredited their protests and warned the Athenians that the Spartans would kill them all in their beds if they trusted them. 
No one, of course, believed the Spartans that they had only said what Alcibiades had convinced them to say. But everyone believed that Alcibiades had just saved them from the jaws of those treacherous men that were the Spartans. The conclusion to this debacle was that Nicias lost all credit, the Athenians tore up the treaty, and Alcibiades was hailed as a great statesman. Whenever I think of this particular part of the story, I always think of that fictional schemer Littlefinger from A Game of Thrones. Littlefinger had absolutely nothing on Alcibiades. Now, Alcibiades may have won this round, but the Spartans had long memories. But from here on started Alcibiades's rise to fame or infamy, and it will come as no surprise that his allies fluctuated greatly during his life, with childhood buddies becoming implacable enemies at various points in his life. And so I turn to the first of Alcibiades's great escapes. By 419 BCE, Alcibiades was known as a proponent of swift aggression against all and any enemy of Athens. And when the Sicilian city-state of Segesta begged Athens for military help against their enemies, who were Athens' enemies too, Alcibiades persuaded the Athenian assembly to comply, and he was appointed general of the Sicilian expedition. Now, the Sicilian expedition in itself is a wonderful tale, and I would highly recommend that you read the abridged version of Plutarch's recounting of it. Now, there were those in the Athenian assembly who grumbled about Athens being drawn into yet another fight, but Alcibiades assured the majority of the assembly that this expedition would be short and this victory sweet as honey. So plans were set in motion for a huge Athenian fleet to sail to Sicily. Alcibiades strutted about, feeling very sure and very happy. Then, one night, shortly before departure, a number of sacred statues in and around Athens were vandalized. This was sacrilege, an offense against the gods, a crime that carried a punishment of death. Those opposed to the Sicilian expedition latched on to this immediately and declared a bad omen, and suspicion fell on Alcibiades. Why? Well, he was known to be impulsive, to overstep the lines of propriety, and he frequently partied with a rowdy crowd who got up to all manner of mischief. But was it him? No one knew for sure, and the crime has actually never been solved. But the voices of Alcibiades' enemies were loud enough for him to be charged. And while he initially wished to stand trial there and then, probably hoping that the Athenians would realize that they couldn't do without him and then set him free, 
it was decided that Alcibiades would sail forth on the expedition and then stand trial on his return from battle, or die in battle with a blackened name, whatever came first. And just as Alcibiades had suspected, as soon as he had sailed from Athens, his enemies, and there were numerous of them, did everything to bribe false witnesses to come forth and declare that they had actually seen him mutilating the statues and all manner of other crimes were laid at his feet. So when Alcibiades reached the shores of Sicily, instead of meeting up with allies providing provisions, docked in the first Sicilian port they sailed into, was instead an Athenian warship ready to take Alcibiades back in chains to Athens, where an inevitable, guilty as charged, would be pronounced. Standing aboard his ship, isolated from his own base of support and a long way from Athens, where his political career was in peril, Alcibiades had to think on his feet. His powers of persuasion were brought to the fore as Alcibiades convinced the captain of the Athenian warship to let him sail his own ship back to Athens. I mean, if it's left in this port of Sicily, gods only know what will happen to it, and it is the property of Athens, so I had better sail this ship back. So, Alcibiades sailed in his own ship behind the warship. In the beginning, there were in calling distance, but the waters of the Ionian Sea are famously rough, so Alcibiades fell a little behind for every sea mile. Oh yes, I'm still following. It's, it's just the wind. I know the way. I'm right behind. Oh yes, oh yes, I am right behind. As they sailed round southern Italy, Alcibiades took a sharp left into the Gulf of Taranto, while the warship continued right to Greece, but now without their prisoner, who stepped ashore on Turi with absolutely no intention of returning to Athens. So, by sheer daring and force of persuasion, Alcibiades had escaped with an intact ship and a galley full of men loyal to him. This, of course, did not go down well in Athens, where he was convicted to death in absentia, and with that door closed to him, Alcibiades did what the still war-loving Alcibiades could do. He offered his services to the Spartans, and he promised them service above that which he had previously done to them as their enemy. Great orator he may have been, but just how he managed to convince the famously ruthless Spartans not to behead him on sight, but actually receive him in Sparta and give him a roof over his head, is a question that has been debated down through the ages. Undoubtedly, 
the Spartans did like his inside knowledge of their arch-enemy, Athens. And luckily for Alcibiades, his first military advice resulted in a quick, significant victory for the Spartans. So, from Athens to Sparta, and Alcibiades seemed to thrive. In fact, he thrived just a little too well, making friends with rowdy soldiers, partying a little too hard for those laconic Spartans, and getting to know the ladies a little too well. By 412 BCE, a decade after his arrival, things came to a head when Alcibiades was accused of having seduced and possibly fathering a child with the wife of the Spartan king, Aegis, while the king was off fighting. Men loyal to the king were sent out to apprehend Alcibiades, but he was forewarned and managed to escape. Now, there may be several reasons why some Spartans felt the need to forewarn this Athenian who had breached the traditions of a guest by seducing the wife of the host, the king's wife no less. There might have been those Spartans who might have felt that Alcibiades knew a little too much about them. He was a capable spy and to have Alcibiades apprehended and given the opportunity to talk, what might he have said out loud that was best kept in the dark? And though Alcibiades had, for a decade, been acknowledged as a clever commander in Sparta, there were those who had never forgotten his treachery towards their ambassadors in 421, and who only wished to see him gone from their lands. And so, on his ship, Alcibiades fled, fled from Sparta and fled right to the Persian Empire that was the traditional enemy of Athens. So once again, Alcibiades went from friend to enemy and convinced the enemy that he was now their good friend. Self-interest and self-preservation must have been his driving force, but he must have drowned out any whiff of untrustworthiness with the scent of smooth persuasion. For just as the Spartans, the Persians accepted him and followed his advice, which included such schemes as bribing commanders in the Peloponnesian War to spy on their own cities and reducing the payments that the Persians had sent to the Spartans in their conflict with the Athenians, so that the resources of the Spartans were severely depleted. Now, while this hurt his erstwhile friends in Sparta, which Alcibiades probably did not mind, his real and ultimate aim was to prepare his return, and hopefully a triumphant return, to Athens, where he still, if you remember, had a death sentence hanging over him. He planned methodically from 411 BCE, playing the game of how to make friends and influence people. And though he was, for the most part, successful, 
he occasionally misjudged his standing with the Persians, which ultimately led to his arrest by the Persians, from whom he then had to escape. His third lucky escape. This time, he fled to new friends, a group of Athenians with whom he banded together and battled the Spartans, and did so quite successfully in the name of Athens. Finally, in 407, Alcibiades set foot once again in Athens and received a hero's welcome, for everyone had heard how much he had done for Athens. And, well, he brought with him a ship full of money that he gave out very generously, and that money spoke so much louder than those voices who might have reminded others of all the harm he had done to Athens. His death sentence was repealed, and all charges dropped, and he was named commander of a fleet of ships. Everything looked rosy, all looked good. Less than a year later, Alcibiades, who liked war more than most men, was once again off to war against Sparta. Now the Athenians expected miraculous victories from his command because he himself had made sure to exaggerate his previous victories. And, well, so when he and the Athenians were roundly defeated at the Battle of Notium, the adoration he had received quickly turned to enmity, which sparked a kindle that his old enemies blew into a fire. Once again, the ground beneath him became a little too hot, and Alcibiades thought it wise to go into self-imposed exile, especially when it became clear that the Athenian assembly were no longer interested in listening to him and also expelled his three most loyal allies. Of course, Alcibiades' image of exile was not one of peaceful contemplation while toiling the land of a faraway farm. That was not Alcibiades. He was determined to get back into the good graces of the Athenians, and he would do this by once again using his powers of persuasion, and this time they were to be used on the Persian king Artaxerxes, whom he hoped would join battle against the Spartans, even though the Persian king, for now, actually supported the Spartans. How hard could that be? Alcibiades had done similar things so many times before. And he had already moved to Phrygia, a Persian province in modern-day Anatolia in Turkey, and he made some, if not many, friends among the Persian soldiers stationed there. By 404, Alcibiades was ready to set out for the Persian court for talks with Artaxerxes. From here, there are two different versions of what happened next. According to the historian Plutarch, 
on the eve of his departure, Alcibiades's house was surrounded and set on fire. Running outside, Alcibiades was confronted with Spartan soldiers who cut off all his means of escape. Instead of begging for mercy, Alcibiades threw himself into the fight and was slain. However, according to another account, it was the Persians in alliance with the Spartans who killed Alcibiades. As I said, Alcibiades had made friends with some, but not all, Persians in Phrygia. And according to the ancient Greek historian Thesisides, the Persian satrap of Phrygia, Phanabasus, he held true to the Spartans, and it was he who had this troublemaker put to death. But perhaps this was Alcibiades's last great escape, for the Athenians would have had him returned to Athens to account for his actions. Instead, Alcibiades chose to rush into battle against insurmountable odds. So the Athenians did not get him, while the Spartans were absolutely confounded that he died a soldier's death, the kind of death that they upheld as the only honorable way to go. And the Persians, well, on the one hand, they were well rid of an inconstant friend, but their own king missed out on his knowledge that had, in the past, led to victories. Alcibiades was a man who divided opinion in his lifetime, and even today, every adjective is used by modern historians, from unscrupulous, devious, to charismatic, brilliant, and skilled. For my part, I don't think it is either or, but all of it. And one thing that certainly is unquestioned was his ability to get out of very tricky situations by way of fantastic escapes. I leave it there for today. If you liked this episode, please leave a like wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I have been Eva, and thanks so much for listening.